Welcome to the Quadcast, brought to you by the Mary Christie Foundation, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Foundation and the host of the Quadcast. In August of any year, the big issue in higher education is the start of school. But in August of 2020, return to school has taken on a whole new meaning due to COVID-19, as has the physical and emotional health of students, whether they be on campus, learning remotely from home, or following a hybrid formula. In today's quadcast, we welcome two college student healthcare experts who have advice for students and their parents about how to navigate their physical and mental health while in college generally and in the time of COVID-19. Dr. Jill Grimes is a family physician, author, and educator who works with college students in Austin, Texas. Her latest book is called The Ultimate College Student Health Handbook, Your Guide for Everything from Hangovers to Homesickness. Welcome, Dr. Grimes. Thank you so much for having me today. And next is Dr. Marcia Morris. Dr. Morris is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Florida and associate program director for SHCC Psychiatry. She is the author of The Campus Cure, A Parent's Guide to Mental Health and Wellness for College Students. Welcome, Dr. Morris. I'm so glad to be here today, Marjorie. And thanks, both of you, for being with us today. We're excited to get started. So I'll start with Dr. Grimes. Dr. Grimes, you have written a handbook for students on how to manage common illnesses, injuries, and anxieties while away from home. Ironically, the book was released just prior to the biggest public health crisis in modern history. So that was just about the time the world got tossed upside down. So we're going to talk about COVID-19 specifically, but I wanted first for you to tell us a little bit about your book, COVID aside here, just a little bit about, you know, why you wrote it, where it came from and what its real value is for students and parents. Absolutely. So this is really a 10 year passion project. And perhaps it's good that I somewhat procrastinated and ultimately it was released right when we needed it most. But what happened is, as our friends had kids who were heading off to college, I started making first aid kits for college. And I'm a family physician practicing in a college town. And so I had a pretty good idea of what kids needed. And it started off with a little shoebox and the ingredients tossed in. And I wrote on a little index card tips about like when to take Tylenol versus Advil or what to do if you had thought you had food poisoning. And those tips started growing each year. It became a bigger project each year. By the time our two daughters were in high school and they had tons of friends graduating, it was a family production to make these kits. The little index cards had evolved into about a 20-page laminated booklet. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, you know, there's a lot more I want to say and I need to make it into a book. I was also working on a college campus at that point. I gave up my private practice and I was seeing college students and hearing the same questions over and over again. And I just realized if they had a reliable source that they could do a lot more self-care and free up their time and hopefully get a jump on things before they even needed to come into the health center. So that's an interesting theme in your book. And it actually has ties to uh, the work that that Dr. Morris has done, which is really sort of this wellness empowerment theme. So what I noticed is you, you advise students that there's a lot that can be done in dealing with, say it's an injury or, or a condition, 
before having to run off to the health center, you talk about sort of the ex- excessive use of x-rays. Talk a little bit about that. So sort of a, you're, you're empowering students to really sort of address some of these issues themselves, correct? Oh, absolutely. And part of it ties in with the parents for our parent listeners as well. What happens is, especially when it's our first kid in college, and I've certainly been there, my, my youngest is now a senior in college, but you get that phone call and say they were playing intramurals and they think they've sprained their ankle. This is how the conversation seems to go for a lot of people. Oh my gosh, go right in and get an x-ray. Go get that looked at. And or don't leave without an x-ray. I'm you know, I'm worried about you. And, and that's because as a parent, we want to do something. We want to be, you know, helping. But really that doesn't necessarily help. It yes, they could they are welcome to come in and be seen, but we want to make sure that we have the right expectations and we don't want to be using x-rays when we don't have to. And so one of the things in the book is exactly that about ankle x-rays. And and there's a set of rules that we use called the audible rules that that tell physicians when it's appropriate to get an x-ray and when it's not. So we can reduce excess radiation, excess cost for the healthcare system, etc. So that's the type of thing that we want to change expectations before students even go in and again, empower them. If they have no bruising, if they have minimal swelling, if they could walk immediately after the injury and bear weight and they can walk on it now, chances are good they can just do an ACE wrap and take some ibuprofen and give it a couple days and see how they're doing. So we want to put that power back in their hands. And especially as these young adults are navigating the healthcare system for the first time, we want them to have the best expectations that they can. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I love the tone of your book. It's very non-judgy. You, yes. you talk about you talk about STDs and hangovers and things that will happen. Absolutely. That's part of these are healthcare issues and there, there isn't any judgment on my part about them. And there shouldn't be any judgment on your physicians. If you've got a problem, it doesn't matter if you got that problem from smoking pot or smoking cigarettes, all of which we dislike like as physicians, of course, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to treat you. It does mean if you come in with an asthma exacerbation that I'm going to talk with you and say, hey, are you smoking anything? Anything. And if you're smoking pot recreationally, which is legal in some states and not in others, but it doesn't matter whether it's legal. I need you to stop medically because your asthma isn't going to get better if you're still irritating your lungs. So the same is true of mental health. You talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and other methods that can help with a host of anxiety related problems. And you have some good advice on that. Now, there's a lot of crossover issues here between our two guests. So I want to switch now just to Dr. Morris for a minute to talk about college student mental health. And I'd like to ask you, Dr. Morris, to talk a little bit about your work in general with college students and your book as well, which is a guide for parents. What are some of the big takeaways there, both in the work that you've done in the University of Florida and some of the advice that you have? Sure. Well, we have seen an increased rate of mental health problems on campus in the last 25 years, especially depression and anxiety. And that's important for students and parents to know so that if these problems come up, that they will pursue treatment, which will reduce that the impact of these problems on school and other aspects of life. But I, I do think, and actually, Marjorie, your Mary Christie Foundation did a wonderful study assessing parents' awareness of mental health problems. And they are now aware, actually, that the problems are going up. And that's important for parents and students to know. Everyone needs to be aware of this. And then the next step is to take steps to prevent these kinds of problems by taking good care of yourself, exercising, meditating, doing yoga, getting enough sleep, and even addressing medical problems like Jill was talking about, because that can affect 
mental health. And the last lesson that I've seen is it's increasingly hard to access mental health care. And that's where parents can be a critical factor in helping students overcome barriers to getting in to see a therapist or psychiatrist. So we've got the increased problems, you know, some difficulties with access. And we're just starting to see how COVID is going to impact all this. And we know that COVID is already increasing rates of depression in college students. Right. Let's talk specifically about that. In terms of college student mental health, which again, I know both of you deal with in your work, what are the biggest stressors right now for students relative to COVID-19? And what are some of the good coping mechanisms for students, for their parents, and, and really for all people on campus? And maybe we'll start again with Dr. Morris on that. And then and then Jill, please jump in. The World Health Organization organization did a great job of mentioning some top stresses and for everyone, but I think these impact college students, especially loneliness, financial pressure, because some of them lost their summer jobs, fear that they or their loved ones will get sick and, and uncertainty. Will they start out in person class and then they'll be going to online class? And will this pandemic end at some point? And when will that happen? So the uncertainty, fear, finances and loneliness, I'd say, are the top pressures. That sounds consistent with some of the research that we've seen, which is continuing to come out, which is great. The Healthy Mind Study, the Active Mind Study, ACE has done quite a bit on this. So Dr. Grimes, from a physical health perspective, high-risk students are advised to not return to campus. What kinds of advice are you giving to those students as well as the ones who are returning to campus, albeit with a host of precautions? I think the single most important thing that students can do is to find ways to be involved. The toughest thing about remote learning is that lack of connection with the other students. And some professors are already doing a fantastic job of within their hour lecture, two hour lecture, they're having small breakout groups, which I think is just critical because that way at least you're interacting with three, four, five other students and you're recreating a little bit of that connection that you have in person. I think the biggest challenge for kids who are both hybrid and all the way online is going to be finding those connections so that they make the transition, especially for the incoming freshmen, because if you don't connect with campus and with small groups and and have some sense of belonging, you're not going to make that transition and you're setting yourself up for failure rather than success. I would love to see a lot more study groups being formed. I'd love to see professors initiating it for the students, for freshmen in particular, who may not you know, feel comfortable taking that initiative. But again, to start creating interaction outside of the classroom, even if it has to be through Zoom. Right. It's interesting because I have college students myself. Uh, One of the hardest things to do is make friends when you first arrive, right? So that's a big part of of your experience. And those who do, I have lifelong friends from my my college freshman year are, are very fortunate, but not everybody does. So it sounds like particularly now that challenge is sort of on steroids and you wonder there should be more maybe that administrators need to be doing around social connections that they maybe didn't think about so much prior to COVID-19. Oh, absolutely. And I I would love to see for the kids that are able to be on campus who still are going to have a lot of social isolation, I would love to see some outdoor movie nights. That's a very easy thing. Depends on your your climate, obviously. But if you have the right climate to be able to be outside, having the outdoor screen set up, 
because you can easily socially distance doing outdoor activities like frisbee golf or tai chi, something where you're, you know, you're with other people, but you're still socially distanced, but you're all still together. And I think the more interactive things you can do, the better. And there's a lot of online interactive games, murder mysteries. There's lots of things that can be done and set up. And I would love to see a little bit of funding or an attention go to that so that we can start creating that sense of belonging, especially for the incoming freshmen and transfer students. And another way to connect for students, let's say, who might be shy are through support groups. And I know our, our campus at University of Florida has a very large group therapy program, but it is a fabulous way is for people to meet each other, to talk about their feelings. And if they are anxious people, they can get more comfortable. And we've been doing, the groups have been happening through Zoom. And I know I have patients who are doing those groups and they find it extraordinarily helpful because we all, we all recognize we're all under more stress. And if, and it can help to do some therapy. And then you're also connecting with other students. So that's something else people can do. And I also, hopefully the extracurricular activities and groups are meeting online. I assume that's going to happen, but I do think it can work, but people are going to have to adapt to it. It's a big change. So yeah, those are some of the things that can be done. So I wanted to ask about students, and this actually be interesting to hear what you would advise parents, again, Dr. Morris, students who have a mental health diagnosis, right? And and those for whom these diagnoses perhaps have gotten worse due to COVID-19. So the American Council on Education came out with a pulse point survey recently, and I'm just actually reading the results right now. The most pressing issues facing presidents at this time is safety protocols for the fall related to COVID-19, 66%. Second most pressing issue was fall enrollment 56%, followed by mental health of students at 39%. So administrators, particularly leadership, are thinking about this as a priority, which it, which is good. So Dr. Morris, if for administrators, again, what should they be thinking about in terms of their students who are returning to campus in some form who have mental health issues? And so that's the first part of the question. My second part of the question is, and how can their parents help? Administrators should communicate with students what services are available because it's wonderful that we can do t mental health treatment through telehealth. And in our t psychiatry group, we transitioned within a week, which I'm so excited about and many programs did. But we need some students, I don't think they realize there are services available still, even though it may not be in person. And by the way, some schools, most schools are either doing telehealth or they might be doing some kind of hybrid model. But for the moment, while rates are up, it's mostly telehealth. But especially for freshmen, what parents can do is go over, look with a student at the website and look at the services that are available. But again, it's important for administrators to communicate how it's different now, but it's available. But I think it's critical that the students get help in a timely manner because the longer they stay depressed, the, you know, the worse it will get. And, and then one other thing I'll mention is if let's say the services fill up on campus, which they often do in the middle of a semester, there are usually case managers on campus who can help refer students off campus. And it get, again, it may still be by telehealth, the, the sessions, 
But if a student is struggling, a parent can ask the students to sign a release of information form with the case manager, and they can work together and work with the insurance to access services. And there are actually also online services that some schools are using like that for overflow, like Mantra Health is one and Silver Cloud is another. So there are all kinds of amazing innovations going on. But the critical thing is, again, parents checking in with the students, seeing how their session went and encouraging them to keep following up. And if I may jump in too, I had two thoughts to add. One, I do think a true silver lining to the COVID crisis is better access to mental health because I, the, the telemedicine for mental health really helps overcome so many barriers for students in particular. So I think that that's a silver lining. The second thing is that particularly on a college campus, a great deal of anxiety that we see clinically starts with test anxiety. And whether you're taking, you know, online classes or in person, test anxiety is still a real thing. And a lot of students who might be hesitant to, to start therapy are willing to go to join study groups, which ends up being a bit of therapy, but it's, you know, there's a ton of study strategies and test taking strategies. And almost every campus that I'm aware of has all these study skills available in person and now switching to Zoom. So I think that that's also a great introduction into joining a group. Marsha, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And again, groups where you gather people of similar backgrounds, like a Black Student Union or a Hillel or you know, different societies, it gives you a sense of home, even among a large group of students. So yeah, different Latinx groups, that also gives you the sense of belonging and common interest, common language. So yeah, those are important things. Well, actually, you just brought up a subject I was about to ask both of you. And and this is really in light of everything we've been talking about today. One of the biggest concerns, it's certainly one of the issues that we deal with at, um, at the foundation is that there's so much that is affecting low-income students and students with color right now. Obviously, one being the fact that they have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. So schools need to be really thinking about how to reach those students are certainly paying more attention to them falling through the cracks when it comes to belonging and mental health. So I'm sort of making a statement there, not a question, but my, my, I guess my question to you is, what kinds of advice would you give administrators to for this particular concern, given all we've talked about today? Yeah, and you bring up the point that we know statistically students of color, in other words, Asian, African-American, and Latinx students seek care for therapy and psychiatric medication at lower numbers than white students. And so it's especially important for campuses to do outreach. And I know a lot of counseling centers do outreach for underserved groups. So that that's one thing that schools can do. And the other thing in general, though, there are a lot of first-gen students who are have first-generation students and also students from other groups who are having financial issues. And I know colleges have made scholarships available, and that's going to make a big difference in terms of them just being able to have the technology to do online classes. So just being aware of the financial pressures is critical because we know that causes increased depression and anxiety. Dr. Grimes, did you have any comment on that? We're just about running out of time. I would piggyback on everything that she said. And we realized that administrators can't 
do everything and we're not asking them to do everything, but administrators can sort of call the attention of the leaders of the groups on their campuses and make sure that the group leaders are all aware of what available services there are, and particularly those that are free or low cost and trying to supplement that. Great points. And speaking of communication, good, clear communication, I think is is so important. And one of the reasons I just want to thank you both again, sharing your perspectives and advice to all of the campus stakeholders, from students to parents to administrators to staff, so important to do during this time. So I thank you both again, and just wish you best of luck with all of your great work. Thank you, Marjorie. Thank you so much. This has been The Quadcast, a production of the Mary Christie Foundation. For more information about the foundation, visit us online at marychristiefoundation.org. And while you're there, please sign up for other products, the quarterly, the MC feed, and subscribe to the Quadcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating or review. It really helps us out. I'm your host, Marjorie Malpe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>